Good evening, everyone. Um, my name is Ryan. I'm a part of the music ministry. I will be bringing us the Bible reading this evening. Our Bible reading is from Mark, um, chapter 6, verse 30 to 44. Mark, chapter 6, verse 30 to 44. And the reading is as follows. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something, something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And he said to them, and they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking up the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, family. For those who are joining us for the first time today, my name is Black, and I'm the young adults pastor here uh, at Christ Church. I have the privilege of taking us through a series titled Under Construction. Um, we started uh, with the second half of the series last week because we actually started the whole series last year, and we picked it up uh, last week. So we're continuing with it. Um, and we're looking at the Gospel of Mark. Uh, so as we uh, leave here after service uh, during the week that we would give ourselves space uh, to read uh, the Gospel of Mark next week, we're going to be uh, continuing from verses 44, so you could read that section um, as you prepare your hearts uh, for next week, Sunday. Amen. 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 Show of hands, how many of us know the movie Hexel Ridge? Okay. One, two... Okay, right. Let me not judge you. Uh, well, but it's a, it's a, it's an amazing film. It's an excellent film. Uh, first time I watched it, uh, I was sobbing the whole time. You know, uncontrollably, snot everywhere. Uh, it's the type of movie where you start making vows. You know, I swear I'm gonna change my life. I swear I'm never gonna do that and do this again. Right? It's just so inspiring. Uh, but the one vow I made is that I'm going to try and watch Hexoridge at least once a year. Right? It's just an inspiring film. And I think if you haven't watched it, uh, 
please do yourself that favor and, and watch that. But it's a, it's a film inspired by a true story of a, uh, a combat medic or military healthcare worker by the name of Desmond Doss. So he served in World War II uh, with the American Army. Doss was a very interesting guy. Uh, he refused to carry a gun um, with him. And carrying a gun, even as a medic, was basically standard procedure, right? It was one of the requirements. After all, you are going into a war zone, right? You need to carry a gun. Uh, even though you're not a soldier, you still need to defend yourself. Uh, but he refused to carry a gun at all, right? The reason for that was because of his uh, faith convictions. He did not want to violate the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. And he just said he believes in that strongly, that even as he goes into war, he will not carry a gun to take a life. Um, and so then he goes into this war, and like any war, you know, people get shot, uh, people get killed, some people get injured. And so at some point in the movie, uh, bombs have gone off, soldiers have been hit, uh, soldiers are injured. Um, and then the, the soldiers obviously decide, let's go back into our trenches just to kind of catch our breath, um, recalibrate before we go out in the battlefield again. So then, Doss at that moment, Desmond decides, hey, there's probably some soldiers who are injured. Let me go back into the battlefield and see how many I can rescue, right? Um, and so then he goes with no gun, one man, one desire, one conviction, one passion, one vision, right? Uh, he just goes straight into the battlefield. And as he does that, he actually finds one person, one soldier who was injured. Um, he then helps that soldier, takes them back uh, to uh, a safety place. And at that point, you know, this one-man rescue mission basically began because when he rescued this one soldier, he thought to himself, there's definitely more, right? So then he kept on going back to the battlefield over and over to find uh, many soldiers that he can rescue, he can help, he can bring out. Um, and so when he's doing this, obviously the opposition then sees that there's some movement. So they start firing, they start dropping bombs. And you would think at this point this guy would be deterred. He'd think, I'm not doing this thing, I don't want to get killed. But instead that fuels him more because he thinks to himself, if these guys are shooting, they might injure somebody who's already injured. Uh, they might kill them, so let me actually go out some more. So he keeps on going out, and every time he brings a soldier, he says to himself, just one more, right? Straps up, goes back into the battlefield. At some point, he comes into contact with a soldier of the opposition. They were fighting the Japanese, um, and he rescues that guy. Even a soldier uh, who's in the opposition, he rescues him. Amazing movie, right? Um, I'm not an evangelist for that movie, but here's, here's the thing that I'm trying to draw out um, from that film. Des Desmond Doss keeps on relentlessly giving of himself. Over and over, he gives of himself. Somebody say give. Yeah. Give. Okay, you guys are awake. He gives of himself over and over and over again. Driven by compassion, driven by conviction, driven by the provision of the strength that God gives them over and over and over Probably over 75 times he went back into the battlefield because at the end there were 75 men that he rescued. But over and over he went. 75 times, no gun, nothing, he survived. That is nothing but a miracle. Amen. Amen. Um, I think it's an amazing story. And there's, again, this thing that I want to pull from that um, is that he relentlessly gives of himself. And that's what Mark 
is going to ask us to do uh, this evening, uh, for us to give of ourselves, uh, but we'll get there. Let me just remind us where we are. We are, again, looking at a series called Under Construction, uh, and we're looking at what Mark is saying about uh, this process of discipleship and how God is calling us out of the world uh, to abandon our old allegiance, to trust him, uh, to be in, in uh, uh, fellowship with him. And so as we think about how God is calling us, if you're sitting here this evening and you believe you're a disciple of Jesus, uh, you've been called out of a life of darkness, to follow Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to sit under Jesus as your master teacher uh, as he conforms your life to look like his life. What Mark wants to do with that in mind for us this evening uh, is to awaken the truth that a disciple is a giver. Amen. A disciple is a giver. If you are sitting here and you're a disciple of Jesus, uh, here's what Mark is saying to us this evening. Uh, Disciples live with a posture of readiness to give. Disciples live with a posture of readiness to give. We are ready to give with our time. We are ready to give with our money, with our energy, with our talents. Why? Because Jesus has given us much. Amen. Jesus has given us himself. And if that is true, that Jesus has given us himself, the disciple can also give his or her insecurities to Jesus, your burdens to Jesus. You can give your loads to Jesus. And that's what Mark wants you to realize this evening. If you're a disciple, disciple rather, then you are a giver. Remember what discipleship is. It's, it's a dance, okay? Um, it's a dance between the relationship that we have with Jesus and the relationship we have with the world around us. Uh, the relationship with Jesus is meant to give cues and inform uh, how we live in the world. So there's this dance that's happening uh, between our relationship with Jesus and the relationship we have with our world. And so Mark wants us to know that we cannot give in the world if we do not receive. Amen. If we do not receive as disciples, don't receive from Jesus, then there's nothing that we can give. Right? Um, Mark wants to, for us to acknowledge that, that our first need is to receive from the ultimate giver himself. That's your first need, to be uh, given or to receive from the ultimate giver himself, Jesus Christ. We cannot focus on our giving first um, because that messes up the dance, okay? If you're just thinking about your own giving, that's hopping on one leg. That's not a dance. Ask Martin. He knows what I mean. Um, A dance happens with two legs, boss, okay? Okay. but, but Mark wants us to know whatever it is that we receive from Jesus that is supposed to shape and influence um, and inform how we give uh, to the world. Just like Desmond does, Mark wants us to give of ourselves. If you're a disciple of Jesus, Jesus has given of himself to you, and then in turn he wants you to give of yourself. Amen. Who am I speaking to this evening? Uh, as we sit here, again, don't know your hearts, uh, can't see them. Um, but there's some of us who are sitting in this room who hear me say this and you think, I have nothing else to give. Amen. I have nothing else to give. And I don't want to walk out of here thinking, here's another sermon where I'm required to give of nothing that I have. All right? That's fine. That's fine. Again, we need to remember the dance. So some of us just need to sit, uh, rather rest and receive. You've been bruised, you've been hurt, you've been taken advantage of. Uh, you can't give anymore. Uh, Mark wants you to know that Jesus has compassion over you, and yours is probably just to rest and receive. But then there's some of us who've been resting and receiving, right, for far too long. 
And Mark wants you to get up and go give. Right? You've been resting and receiving. You have. Now get up and go give. That's the challenge that Mark has for us. I remember what we said last week. Part of what being a disciple is is that we emulate Jesus. Jesus is a giver. Some of us need to be challenged or even reminded. You need to get up and go give. Somebody say give. Give. Let me pray for us uh, that Jesus would help us with those things. Lord, we pray that for those who need to uh, rest and receive, uh, you know where their hearts are. As your word is open, Lord, I pray that, that you shower your word over them, um, that you restore them, that you heal them. Uh, they cannot go out to the world and give life if they feel empty. Um, so I pray, Lord, that you would really, really uh, work in their hearts this evening and for the duration of the series, Lord. Um, fill them up. And Father, for some of us who, yeah, have just been warming the bench for long, um, that, Lord, you would challenge us today as we see how you give, uh, that, Lord, in turn we would be um, yeah, moved, challenged, uh, pushed by you, Holy Spirit, uh, to get up and go give. Um, pray that you would speak to us through your word um, and that, Lord, we, we would all um, yeah, just turn our eyes upon you. Um, in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Man, so we're going to look at four marks of what a disciple is. Uh, so when we think of a disciple who's a giver, um, four marks. So if you're taking notes here, here's where we're going. The first mark of a disciple who's a giver uh, is a disciple who reflects the compassion of Jesus. Um, the first mark, a disciple who reflects the compassion, compassion of Jesus. Uh, the second mark is a disciple uh, relies on the provisions of Jesus a disciple who relies on the provisions of Jesus. Uh, the third one um, is a disciple who realizes the miracle of Jesus, a disciple who realizes the miracle of Jesus, and lastly, a disciple who receives from Jesus. Amen. Uh, so let's look at the first mark, uh, a disciple that reflects the compassion of Jesus. Uh, read with me verses 34 of Mark chapter 6. Listen to what Mark says um, to us. When he went ashore, speaking of Jesus, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and began to teach them many things. Um, how do we get to verses 34? Um, well, just to probably give you a little bit of uh, a context. Last week we looked at verses 30 till 33. Uh, we saw... Um, the disciples coming back from a mission trip uh, that they went to or went on in verses 7 till 13. And so in verses 30, they coming back and they telling Jesus all that they had done and taught. Verses 31 till 32, uh, we see that they are visibly tired. Uh, hence, Jesus then requests uh, that they go to rest and enjoy time with God um, and recoup and be filled again by God. Uh, it's an important thing as well for disciples that we actually do take time to rest and be with God. Verses 33, uh, as they're going to this place called uh, a desolate place, which is a desert, to rest, the same crowd that they had ministered to in verses 7 till 13 sees and recognizes them and then runs ahead uh, so that they can meet them in this desolate place. Uh, so that's where we get to in verses 34. They've arrived at this desolate place. Jesus is the one who gets out of the boat. Um, that's what Mark tells us. And so our conclusion is that the disciples of the 12 were probably then left behind in the boat to do exactly what they set out to do, uh, which is to rest. So when you think about this, they've been serving these people. They've been ministering to them. 
Uh, now they want to go rest. And then these people still want to be served. They still want to get from them. What would the natural response be right, in a situation like this? The natural response is to be frustrated. The natural response is to have every right in the world to say, listen, guys, we've been serving you, right? Jesus, who steps out of the boat, has every right in the universe to just say to this crowd, my disciples have been serving you. We've been serving you. We've been healing. We've been teaching. We've been doing many things. We're just tired, right? We just need space to rest. That would be a natural thing to do, to respond in that way. But again, Let's see what Mark says in verses 34. Instead of frustration, Jesus responds with compassion. Jesus responds with compassion. What is compassion? He responds with sympathy. He responds with understanding. He responds with caring for these people, with warmth, with gentleness. Compassion is a pressing in into people and their situation and their needs. Um, It's pressing closer into somebody. In fact, Mark says that these people are like sheep without a shepherd. And what he's telling us is that they do have leaders, religious leaders and teachers of the law, but not the kind that looks like Jesus. It's the kind that takes care of themselves and exploits these sheep. And so Jesus recognizes their vulnerability. Jesus sees them. Instead of being frustrated, he presses in. He moves closer to them with compassion And then gives them what they need immediately. He sees what they need and he gives that to them immediately. That's the first thing he gives himself. He gives himself. He gives the word of God. See, Jesus' first instinct isn't money. Jesus' first instinct is not food. Food is important. We'll see later on. But that's not his first instinct. His first instinct is to give them the word. See, church, as we sit here, Sean was praying earlier on uh, just about the culture in Midrand. Uh, We find it easier to give material stuff, right? We find it easier to just give the guy the corner clothes, food, um, and just go about uh, our day, right? And that's not all the time. Sometimes we think about it, we care about them, we pray for the stuff. But generally, it's just easier to give somebody stuff and go about your day. It's harder, to do this. It's harder to press in with compassion. It's harder to walk with them lovingly, to give them the word of God. Any disciples who struggle with this out there? Amen? It's harder to do that. Um, to press in with the word. Think about the story uh, that Mark tells us in chapter 2 of the, the guy who's paralyzed. Uh, he can't move. Jesus uh, is there teaching. His friends bring him. The first thing Jesus does is say that the guy's sins are forgiven. Was physical healing not important? It was. And Jesus does that later. But Jesus goes straight for the need. He sees that they are sheep without a shepherd, and he gives them himself. He gives them the word of God. And that's what Mark wants us to see here, that food is important, yes, but there's a kind of food that's more important, and that is the word of God. Mark wants us to see that compassion here Right? Compassion is giving food, it is giving clothes, it's giving all these other things. But what Mark wants the disciple to realize this evening is that compassion here is giving with the word of God. The life of a disciple is marked with this kind of compassion. When we think about our own lives, how does this look like? How do we emulate the master teacher when it comes to giving the word of God? 
Is that our first instinct? Is that something that mocks us? Again, there's some of us sitting here who just need to rest and receive. Be showered with the word of God. Come to church, hear God's word. Go to a life group, be pressed into by God's community as they give you God's word. Some of us just need that right now. Amen. But some of us sitting here, if we honest, church, we just need to be challenged. That we need to be compassionate to our co-workers by giving them the word of God. We need to be compassionate to our fellow students on campus and give them the word of God. We need to pick up a phone. Call the family that you hate. Hallelujah. (laughs) And give them the word of God. Be compassionate in that way. That's what marks a disciple because I, I, most of the times we think, well, I just went to the last funeral. That's as much compassion as I'm giving. My cousin is getting married next week. I'll just buy an outfit. I showed up. That's as much compassion as I'm giving. No disciple. Call. Plan a visit. Love them with God's word. Why? Because like Jesus, recognize that there are sheep without a shepherd. Without Jesus, they are lost. Without Jesus, they have no purpose. Without Jesus, they have no direction in life. There is no hope for them. Even if they would have all the money in the world, without Jesus, they are lost and they will die and be eternally lost. Have compassion and give them the word of God. Last week at the young adults, uh, we were talking about soft life. Right? Uh, if you don't know what soft life is basically a life of comfort uh, and being materially fulfilled and satisfied. and It's a life of abundance. We spoke, we spoke, we spoke, we spoke, and then we threw a question. Uh, what does a spiritual soft life look like? Continued chatting, chatting, chatting. Eventually what we landed on is that if you are a disciple, if you are a born-again Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are living the spiritual soft life. Everything else that Jesus adds, food, clothes, shelter, that's a bonus. What would be a spiritual soft life for somebody who was dead? It's coming to life. It's being risen from the grave. How do we show compassion to those around us? A disciple is a giver of Jesus' compassion. That's what Mark wants us to see. Amen. Amen. That's our first Mark. Our second Mark, a disciple relies on the provisions of Jesus. Uh, Read with me verses 35 till 37a. Uh, 35 till 37a. Uh, Disciple relies on the provisions of Jesus. And when it grew late, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Uh, Mark shifts our our attention here from the crowd. Uh, Mark wants us to focus now on the conversation that's happening between Jesus and his 12th. Uh, Two conversations are happening here. Uh, Let me me label them for us. Uh, The first conversation that's happening happens at at a face value. Face value conversation. That's what's happening. And the second conversation that's happening is happening at a faith value, right? Faith value conversation versus a face value 
conversation. The disciples are actually having a face value conversation with Jesus. That conversation is informed by what they see. It's informed by their sight. They are seeing hungry people. They are seeing a large crowd. And so they're just having a conversation on the face value. But Jesus, as he's speaking to them, he's trying to have a faith value conversation, a conversation that seeks to challenge the disciples about what they believe. That's what Jesus is doing. He wants to reveal to the disciples that they lack reliance in him. Why do I say this? Start back a little bit. Go back to verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. This was when they were on their mission trip. Um, Listen to what Mark says here. He, speaking of Jesus, charged them to take nothing for their journey. This is when they were going out to preach. um, Except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money uh, in their belts. But to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. So Jesus has sent them on this mission trip, and he sent them with nothing but the word of the kingdom of God. That's all they had. They had the word. No bread, no money, nothing else. They had the word of God, and what happened? Miracles happened. People were healed. Demons were cast out. Sinners repented. So they saw the power of God. They saw the power of Jesus. So it should have been obvious to them. And I say obvious with much grace because I'm a disciple myself and I mess this up all the time. But it should have been obvious to them that the one who gave them power to feed souls clearly has enough power, surely has enough power to feed stomachs of the 5,000 5, people that were before them. But they forgot this. They forgot that Jesus gave them and empowered them to go preach and share his kingdom news with everybody else and miracles happen and here they see 5,000 people they start having a face value conversation with Jesus they go into panic mode how are we going to feed all of these people that's what they're saying forgetting that they're standing next to God himself you're standing next to Mutsipe, the billionaire when all the resources are there You have the richest man in the country next to you, and you forget the power he has. That's the messiness of discipleship. You get it, but you don't get it. You believe him, but you don't believe him. As we sit here, we can all say amen, hallelujah, clap, we believe it. As soon as you get in the car, you forget it. When Satan starts attacking, you forget it. When life gets tough tomorrow, Monday morning, and you remember that you hate your job, you forget. That's the messiness of discipleship. They start start panicking. Read with me in verses 37b as this conversation continues. So they say to Jesus, Jesus, the last thing said to them was, "You, you, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy... 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat. See, they've gone into panic mode. What do they do when they go into panic mode? They start turning to themselves, the resources that they have. They forget that they're standing next to God who can provide anything. They start looking at their own resources. How could we do this? If we have to feed these people, then we have to give them all the money that we've saved for the year. That's how much money they were saying we need to spend to feed all of these people. 
So they start looking to themselves. They turn to themselves. That's what panic mode does. You turn to yourself. They look to their own provision instead of turning their attention to the one who can truly provide. The one who can truly give. Somebody say give. He can truly give what they need. Doesn't this happen to us? We get to panic mode and we start looking at our own resources, at our own uh, abilities. We start looking at our own pockets. We forget that we serve Jesus who provides a God who's more capable to provide. Mark wants us to see something here. Remember where they are currently. They're in the desolate place. They're in the desert. Um, What does this remind us of? Last week we kind of spoke about the desert place and how it reminded us of Exodus. Mark kind of continues with this theme. He wants us to realize um, that their ancestors, the ancestors of these disciples, the Jewish people, were also in a desolate place thousands of years before. What were they struggling with in that desert? The very same thing that these disciples are struggling with. A lack of reliance on God's provision for them. That's what they were struggling with. God had rescued them from slavery into the desolate place, into the desert, to rest in him, to worship him, to serve him. And shortly after that, they started grumbling, expressing their lack of trust in God. That he'll never pull through with his promises. This God who saved us is going to leave us in this desert hungry. He cannot be trusted. So they started fantasizing and plotting about a way for them to go back into slavery because they had food there. You want to go back to slavery for an onion? Beef stock? That's insane. I wonder as we sit here, as disciples, do we feel this kind of temptation bubbling up in us from time to time? When we start questioning if Jesus is actually changing our lives, is Jesus actually doing anything in my life? Is he changing me as a disciple? Am I becoming more and more like him? And not asking from a place of reflection and saying, hey, Lord, I'm grateful for how you've carried me, but you're in panic mode. Am I really a disciple? See, when we ask that question that way, we are looking to our performance. We are looking to our performance. And here's what Mark is saying to you this evening. Hey, look up. Don't look to your performance. Look up. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus when you get to to that moment. Look at him. Because the more we look to ourselves, whenever we get into this panic mode, the more we'll find reasons for why we believe life is better without Jesus. The more you look at your performance, what will your performance tell you? You suck. And the more your performance reminds you that you suck, the more you think, why should I even believe in him? Why should I continue with this thing? Look to him. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And all the things on earth, including your performance, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, the one who is working in you at a faith level value. Turn your eyes away from yourself, who looks at things at a face value. Rely on the provisions of Jesus to change you, and not yourself. Rely on him. A disciple or a mark of a disciple is one who relies on the provisions 
of Jesus. Jesus has provided his word. Look at him through his word. Don't look to yourself. Look to Jesus through prayer. Later on, we're going to have an opportunity to look to Jesus through communion as we reflect about the cross and what he's done for us. Turn your eyes away from yourself and look to Jesus. That's what Mark wants you to see. Look to Jesus in the love and the compassion that he expresses to you through his family, the people sitting around you. Look to Jesus and not yourself. Give your attention to Jesus. Somebody say give. Give your trust to Jesus. Give yourself to Jesus. Because a disciple relies on the provisions of Jesus. Amen. Third mark, a disciple realizes the miracle of Jesus. Read with me verses 38 till 41. That's a bit long. A disciple realizes the miracle of Jesus. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. Um, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Verses 44, we'll get there later, but tells us that uh, there were at least 5,000 people uh, sitting here. Um, And as we think about the 5,000, it's probably men that were counted, so there's possibly their wives and their children. Uh, So this number doubles up. Um, So now there's probably 15 uh, to 20,000 plus people in total, and I'm just being uh, conservative here. There's probably more people uh, that are here, not just 5,000. What Mark is telling us, what Mark was telling his original readers, is that Jesus fed more than 20 plus thousand people with two fish and five loaves. Right? If you like uh, Mom Kiza and you're from Kiza, then you probably think this is witchcraft. But uh, there's no other way to see this. There's no other way to see it except for what it is. It's a miracle. Somebody say miracle. It's a miracle, right? And I have the right suit to speak about miracles today. Anyway. (laughs) But it's a miracle. That's what this thing is. But we live in a world of skeptics, worlds who don't, people who don't believe that miracles could happen. So there's many objections to Jesus feeding more than 5,000 people. We could sit here and actually have a whole sermon about how uh, people have objected to the feeding after 5,000. But two, just for the sake of our time. Some people say that Jesus and his disciples basically filled a, ca- a cave with bread and fish. And when it was time to perform the miracle, the disciples went into the cave and got the props. Brought the props out, gave it to the people. Right? A second objection is that there were many people within the 20,000 plus who actually had food. It was just a small group of people who didn't have food. And so what the disciples did is that they were sent by Jesus to go collect the food from the larger percentage of the people there, and then they distributed it and gave it to everybody so nobody was in lack. Right? And so the people who hold that view say that this was an ethical uh, miracle and not a supernatural miracle. You know? It's ethical. People came together. No one was fighting. They shared everything. But it's not a supernatural miracle. 
here's one thing I want to do. You could go everywhere in the net, find an apolog- apolo- apologist who will give you uh, um, answers to, to those objections. Right? But as disciples, we need to be training ourselves to be reading God's word. Find Jesus in God's word. And that's what Mark does for us. He gives us answers to these objections in God's word. Right? Verses 38, uh, we saw the disciples coming to Jesus and saying to him, how can we spend 200 denarii to feed all these people? They recognize that it's a lot of money. Right? It's a lot of money. It's wages for close to, to a year. So they admit themselves, this would be a very expensive trick. That's, we don't have that kind of money to just buy bread and stuff a cave up with bread so that when you want to just show off, we take it out, right? Um, they tell you themselves, they would not do this. They were panicking. This is all the money we have. We cannot spend it. Why would they suddenly change their minds and think, oh, it's a good idea to spend all this money? Verses 38, uh, uh, 36 rather answers uh, the second objection for us. Um, they would not have asked Jesus to send the crowd away if they had their own food. They had their own food. Food would not have been a question. They realized people didn't have food. They came to Jesus and said, hey, listen, people don't have food. Send them away so that they can go eat. But if a large portion of the crowd had food, they would not even concern themselves. Remember, they wanted to rest. They would have just said, hey, this guy likes talking, vele. See, now we are sleeping, Right? But they were concerned, hey, Jesus, they started panicking. People don't have food. So there's no other way to see this church. There's no other way but to admit that it is what it is, a supernatural act. It is a miracle. Verses 41, Jesus then looks up to the heavens and prays and breaks the bread to feed the masses. Why does he do that? Remember where we are again. We're in a desolate place. So Jesus here, as he's praying and breaking the bread, he's not only remembering the miracle of the bread that came from heaven to feed God's grumbling people when they were in the desert. That's what he's doing. He's remembering that miracle as he's performing a miracle. And he stands in the desolate place now as the fulfillment of the bread of life himself. The bread of life that came to bring salvation. That's what Jesus is doing here, and he wants to point their eyes to that truth. He wants us to see that as well. And so if you're sitting here this evening as a blood-bought, spirit-filled disciple, rescued by Jesus, which is a miracle on its own, as I look around, I'm like, some people looked decent, you know, good people. When I think of David and him being saved, I believe it is a miracle. There's just no other way. It's a miracle, right? But it's actually true of all of us. If we just do some, some self-introspection, okay? Just go on a solo date and just think. Look at your own heart. Look at your own heart. Look at how you treat other people. Look at the stuff that you think about. Look at how you're judging me right now as I stand here. I wonder what you are saying. But anyway, <laughs> I see you call up. <laughs> but it's a miracle that Jesus saved you. It's a miracle that Jesus saved me. Right? When I think of my own life, I'm like, Jesse, it is a miracle. In fact, side note, since I'm here, I have the mic. Uh, I remember meeting somebody at this church who I went to school with, and I bumped into them, and I was like, yo, bro, you're a Christian. I didn't know that. He's like, yo, what are you doing here? I'm like, I got saved. I'm like, how long have you been a Christian? He's like, the whole time we were at school together. I'm like, why didn't you share Jesus with me? He was like, dog, I thought you were a reject. Right? So it's a miracle that I got saved. People I went to school with thought I was a reject. 
Christians thought there was no hope for me. Right? It's a miracle that I got saved. It's a miracle. Amen. Amen. That anyone in this room would be saved. It is a miracle. Um, So Jesus says to you, and Mark wants you to realize that today, that if he could pull off that miracle of saving you, don't fall into the trap of forgetting. Forgetting that he's a miracle-working God. He's a miracle-working God. Therefore, give all your cares to him. Somebody say give. Give all your struggles to him. Give all your doubts, all your fears, all your insecurities and anxieties. Give all of that to him. We sometimes give all of these things to people and place a burden on humans that only God can carry. But a disciple gives their load over to Jesus. Give your load to Jesus today. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what's in your hearts. I don't know which person you hate. But give all of that to Jesus by recognizing or realizing that he is a miracle-working God. Amen. Last point, so last mark, uh, the disciple receives from Jesus, verse 42 uh, till 44. Read with me there, 42 till 44. And they ate, uh, rather, and they all ate and were satisfied. Um, And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish, and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So two things Mark wants us to note um, as we get to the last mark of what a disciple is. Um, one, he wants us to note that Jesus has all in himself to meet all that we need and beyond that. Right? Jesus has all in himself to meet all that we need um, and satisfy us beyond our wildest dreams. Mark wants you as a disciple to know that you can receive from this Jesus. We sometimes just don't believe that. Uh, We say it, we profess it in our mouths, we come to church. um, But when life is tough, when discipleship gets messy out there, it's very hard for us to remember and believe that we could actually receive um, from this Jesus. Mark wants us to know that this passage began with the disciples failing to realize the power of Jesus' provision. But it ends with Jesus satisfying everyone, including them, beyond their wildest imaginings. Um, Second thing Mark wants us to see here um, as we think about the disciple who receives is that there is something significant about the 12 baskets. At the end, the 12 disciples with 12 baskets and they're all collecting their leftovers. Um, See, Jesus calls the 12 collectively into a life of discipleship. Calls all of them individually. They come as a collective into this life of discipleship. But what Mark gives us the privilege of here um, is, is for them to, to reflect individually. Um, so we could be sitting here collectively, but we all have to reflect individually um, on our relationship with Jesus. Uh, what is he doing uh, in this construction that we're in? Uh, we could do that collectively, but we also just need some time to reflect, contemplate individually. And I think that's what was happening with these disciples here. As they're collecting the bread, as they're collecting the, fl- the fish, they're probably reflecting on the compassion of Jesus. Remember how the story started. Um, they were tired. They didn't want to get out of the boat. Um, and as they come out, they're panicking. They see thousands and thousands of people. 
But as the story ends, they're collecting these baskets individually. They're probably reflecting on the compassion of Jesus. How compassionate is this, this master teacher, the one that we've given our lives to? How compassionate is he that he would stand here for hours? We don't know how long he stood there just teaching and giving of himself. And this one actually also provides. It's probably the second thing that they, they were reflecting on or remembering, the provision of Jesus. We started off with nothing. We were panicking. I was in panic mode. Um, Peter was making noise. John was screaming. Judas was holding the money. But now they're probably standing there thinking, remembering, Jesus actually provides, man. Look at all this left over. I'm satisfied. Everyone else is satisfied here. Thousands and thousands of people. This Jesus does provide. Third thing, they're probably collecting the food, the leftovers, and they're realizing the miracle of Jesus. What we just saw here was a miracle. What just happened here was a miracle. Nobody could have engineered this, but this was a miracle. And so they, they're probably thinking to themselves, we, we could receive all that we need, all that we dream of, we could receive from this guy. This guy can be trusted. This Jesus can be trusted. This Jesus will provide for us. This Jesus is compassionate to us. This Jesus is a miracle-working God. Mark doesn't tell us, but, but I, would, I would conclude that they, they were probably inspired to go give. And I, I, I believe that's, that's what I want to leave us with uh, this evening, that the disciple who receives from Jesus, that disciple is required to go give. Again, some of us might be sitting here, and we need to rest and receive from Jesus. Amen and amen. And I pray that as God's word was opened, that you are being poured into, that you're starting your healing and that you're recovering. But to some of us, again, who's sitting here, we've seen Jesus provides. Amen. We've seen Jesus performs miracles. Amen. We've seen that Jesus is compassionate. Amen. So let's go emulate him. Let's go be compassionate. Give people God's word. Right, let's go emulate him out there and trust him with our lives. Panic modes are still going to happen, right? But let's remember in the panic mode that this is a Jesus who can be trusted. Man, how much more time do we have? Okay. Let me, let me close there uh, and pray and ask God to, to help us with this. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, um, Let's pray that you would just help us as we think about how you can be trusted, as we think about um, all that you have given to us, and most importantly, how you've given yourself to us. I pray, Father, um, for those who are sitting here who are disciples, um, I pray that you would really just uh, anchor these truths in their hearts, um, in our hearts, as I stand here as a disciple myself, uh, that, Lord, we would just be encouraged, inspired uh, to go live out what we have received from you. A world that's dying, a world of sheep without shepherds, um, when we know the true shepherd. I pray that you would move us to go give. Um, give of ourselves to the world that you've placed us in, the work, the families. We would give of ourselves um, as you have given uh, of yourself to us. So thank you so much for that, Lord. And I pray that, yeah, when we forget this Holy Spirit, that you would just remind us. If we meet in 
during our life groups as we meet with brothers and sisters elsewhere, that we'd remind um, ourselves of these truths. In your wonderful and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen.